We are on Ksubis Mem Zayin Amad Aleph 47a as we continue on in the list of different things that the father has jurisdiction over his uh, daughter who is a minor who is under the age of uh, 12, really 12 and a half um, and also different things that the husband uh, receives uh, from his wife uh, that's also part of this list. And in the next class, we'll discuss the different obligations that the father has towards his wife. And um, uh, the Rambam mentions 10 different obligations that the father, that a husband has towards his wife. And that's why he also receives uh, some of these other aspects of uh, from his wife uh, within that relationship. Uh, which is something that we'll discuss in the next class. That'll be on Amabez, Amamzayin Amabez, which we'll have for next time. But let's continue on in this list, and hopefully complete this list, of different things that the father has jurisdiction over his daughter, who is a minor, and also, uh, as we mentioned, that the the husband also has um, uh, the rights to, to different things. So, number one, as we continue on in this list, the first thing that we'll discuss... Uh, today, not the first thing that we've discussed. We've discussed other uh, part, other aspects to this as well, in, in terms of uh, the fact that uh, the father would receive uh, any money that she makes from work, um, and the fact that he has the ability to marry her off, or anything that she finds. That's what we've discussed until now, which is mentioned in the Mishnah. The Mishnah continues, and the Gemara will analyze this. Uh, the next case is Hafaris Nidareha. The fact that the father has the ability to... Um, to cancel, to annul any vow, any oath that she takes. He has the ability to do that. How do we know that? The Pasuk, the verse says, to tell you that it's not just referring to a katana under the age of 12, but even from 12 to 12 and a half as a na'ara, that's the status of a na'ara, so then the father has the ability to annul uh, those vows as well. Next case is, umekabla es gita. The father has the ability to accept the divorce document. The father has the ability to uh, sort of act as that uh, extension of her hand. In general, in order to get divorced, the husband has to give a get, a divorce document, and and give it to her. Uh, what does give it to her mean? So that might not just mean her actual physical hand. It might include um, other, uh, you know, her... Uh, uh, her chatzer, her courtyard, uh, potentially, and other uh, other extensions, sort of quote-unquote extensions of her hand. And so how do we know also that her father could also act as an extension of her hand? Minalan, how do we know this? Just like the father's jurisdiction over uh, the marriage, that he has the ability to marry her off, so too the father has the ability to receive the divorce document. And so therefore that's why we have uh, that, that's how we know it, from, the, from that connection. The, the verse itself makes a connection between marriage and divorce to tell you that just like by marriage, the father has jurisdiction over uh, marrying marrying his daughter, marrying off his daughter. Uh, so too, when it comes to divorce, he's able to receive the divorce document. Okay. And the last case with regards to the father and uh, his daughter was a minor is something that he does not have rights to, which a husband does. However, Let's say she receives uh, something from her mother. Let's say it's a different, uh, uh, it's, uh, her mother is not married to her father. Um, 
uh, currently. So, let's say she receives a a gift, a Yerusha inheritance from her mother. Uh, so she she gets to keep that's hers. Uh, however, the question is, well, could the father is the father allowed to use it? Is he allowed to benefit from that Yerusha, from that inheritance? So the Mishnah says he cannot. He cannot benefit from it, which is different uh, from a husband. A husband would be allowed to uh, eat from the peros. He would be allowed to use it and, and get benefit from it, even though it belongs uh, to the daughter slash to the wife. So the Brisa says that that's the Mishnah. The Brisa says Tanura Abanan. It's taught in a Brisa. Brisa is from the same time period as the Mishnah. The first opinion is like our Mishnah. The father is not allowed to use uh, any gifts that she has. Rabbiosi, Rabbihuda, Omer, Ha'av, Ochel, Peres, Pechai, Bito, Rabbiosi, Rabbihuda, Rabbiosi, the son of Rabbihuda, argues and says, No, the father, just like the husband, is allowed to, so do the father is also allowed to. So the Gemara wants to know, what are they arguing about? Bimai, Kamifligi. What are they arguing about? So the Gemara explains this as follows. Tanakama, Savar, Bishlam, Abal, Takin, Roban, and Peri, Dimkin, Mimnivlo, Parik. Why is it so that the husband receives uh, the Peros, basically, um, if she brings in uh, certain uh, uh, certain possessions into the marriage, or let's say she receives a gift, an inheritance during the marriage, so why is the fa- why is the husband allowed to benefit from it? So the reason for for it, as, as we will see in the next class uh, in, in, a, in a bigger discussion, is uh, it's it's in place of this is a rabbinic decree because we want to make sure one of the obligations that the rabbis placed upon the husband when they get married is that. Uh, if she ever gets taken into captivity, it's his responsibility and he has to pay uh, for her release, to free her. And so we want to make sure, we, we want to make sure that he will free his wife. This is all done for the benefit of the wife. Uh, and so to make sure that uh, there's a healthy relationship here and so that uh, it's not just him constantly having these obligations. Uh, so therefore we say that he's also allowed to, if she has anything, so then he's allowed to have benefit from uh, different things that she has, she's like he's like who'd be allowed to use it, and so therefore because of that benefit that he has, so then it'll provide him with more incentive to make sure that he actually frees his wife, even if it's above and beyond the amount that uh, he benefited from her. Uh, so it's still he'll be he'll be able to, uh, and he'll have a, a, a greater incentive to to free her, and so really this is all to her benefit. Um, uh, the reason why the husband is allowed to to use. Uh, to to use uh, what she has is really for her benefit so that in case, God forbid, in a case where she is taken into captivity, that he will free her. Ela'av. Fine, that's the reason for the husband. Ela'av, Mike, Lamera, Dimimnevlo, Park, Blavachli, Park, Law. But a father, in terms of redeeming his own daughter, again, we're, we're even talking about a minor here, his own daughter, of course he's going to free her. Without question, he'll free her. Um, it, it, we don't need to provide any incentive to the father. The father will will, will certainly free her. Um, one might claim, "What about the husband?" But the answer is no. It uh, probably for for many cases, uh, the husband will will ha- will want to free her. But we want to make sure, as a general rule, for everybody, for every case of marriage, that the husband will um, will will have an obligation to free her, and therefore we we provide this uh, um, the peros the uh, the ability to use uh, her. Possessions, what she brings into the marriage, the, the husband will be able to use that for, for all cases. But according to the Tanakama, according to the first opinion, the, every father will certainly free, um, will certainly free his, his own daughter. The next opinion, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Huda argues, Savar, Av Nami Mimna Velo Parik, Savar, 
No, a father might say, listen, she received something from her mother, let's say, an inheritance from her mother. She received this inheritance from her, from, from her mother. Let her free herself if the father cannot use it. If the father, it's totally separate from uh, the ability for the father to use this. According to Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, the father, we were concerned, maybe not for the majority of cases, maybe not even for the minority of cases, but we're concerned that there'll be people out there um, who will say, that's fine. So let my daughter get out of captivity with her own money. She has her own money. She has money from Yerusha, from inheritance from from her mother. Um, so let her get let her get free. Let, let her uh, pay pay it off. Pay her her, her uh, captors uh, with that money, and I won't get involved. And so because of that, we want to make sure that no, the father has to take responsibility. The father has to be involved in this. And so therefore, if she makes it, if she bring, if she has anything, if she has anything, any gifts or anything from Yerusha from inheritance, uh, so then. And gifts is really a machlok, it's a dispute whether it, it remains hers. But let's say inheritance, uh, so then the father would be, according to this second opinion, against the Mishnah, the father would be allowed uh, to use it. Okay, that is all with regards to the lists of the jurisdictions uh, and uh, situations where the father has certain benefits from uh, and is allowed to receive things from his daughter, who is a minor under the age of 12 and a half. Um, that, that, that's the whole list. Uh, that, and the Gemara... Analyze that list. So again, just to, to review, in terms of uh, he has the ability to marry her off, he has uh, he's able to accept a get, a divorce document, he receives things that she finds, that's something we discussed in the last class, uh, money that she makes when she, when she works, uh, he's able to annul her vows, uh, and with regards to having benefit from things that she receives from inheritance, so that was a matter of dispute, our mission said that he's not allowed to benefit from it, um, and we saw that we just saw in the Brisa that there's a, there is a, an opinion. It was a dispute, but there's an opinion of Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, who says that the father could in fact benefit from it. So that's the list with regards to that. The Gemara now discusses really a, a separate topic as we uh, transition into uh, what the husband is allowed to benefit from and the obligations of the husband towards his wife. So Tanara Banan, new case, new case here. Uh, so uh, we know that a ksuba, a ksuba is written um, at the time of the erisin, at the time of the enge- the halachic engagement, uh, which we mentioned in the past. In the times of the Gemara, uh, was a year apart. The halachic engagement is the giving of the ring that we do today. The actual marriage is when they lived when they lived together, which is represented by the chuppah living under one roof. Today we do that all within five minutes of each other. Uh, but in the times of the Gemara, there would be a year apart. And so the, the custom was to write the ksuba. The ksuba is the document which describes uh, the different things that uh, the husband is obligated towards his wife, including uh, supporting her after the end of the marriage, whether it's divorce or um, he passes away. Um, and uh, in the ksuba, let's say, let's say uh, it's written, Peros ksus v'kelem sheyavo ima mebeis havi lebeis baila, meisa lozocha ba'al b'tvam halalu, what happens if in the Ksuba, part of the Ksuba, what's also written in the Ksuba, are the different uh, things that she is bringing into the marriage. Different things that she's bringing to marriage, or let's say her family, her father is writing what we refer to as a Nidunya. She's, uh, he's, he's writing, these are the things that I'm, I'm, I'm bringing into her marriage for the benefit of, uh, of the husband. This will now enter into the marriage, different, uh, uh, different things, whether it's uh, fruit, or uh, utensils, um, or clothing, 
different things that uh, that they could benefit from, and they're bringing it into the marriage. Again, during the, they're writing this at the time of engagement. They're not living with each other for that whole year in times of the Gemara uh, until a year later. So what happens if they write this into the Ksuba that the father will obligate himself, he'll provide a certain number of things, and they bring it into the marriage. This is uh, the obligation that uh, the father of the girl uh, uh, is, is writing in this Ksuba, in this document. But what happens? Mesa... What happens if she dies, the wife dies during the engagement, uh, during that halachic engagement, before they are actually living together? According to the first opinion, the husband does not receive this. According to, according to the first opinion, the uh, the father only obligated himself to the point where he'll, he'll receive these things once they actually get married. But uh, if they never got married, so then uh, he never had in mind to obligate himself. However, Reb argues and says that no, the husband, the father wrote this. The father said that this will come into the marriage. It comes into the marriage. They wrote it already at the time of the engagement. Just because the wife passed away before they were actually married doesn't make a difference. He obligated himself. The father obligated himself. It belongs now to the husband. Even though the wife died before they were actually fully married, it doesn't make a difference. It belongs, it belongs to the, it belongs to the, to the husband. This is a, this is a big, big machlok. It's a big argument. So the Gemara says, what are they arguing about here? What exactly is the argument? Maybe it's the same dispute, the same argument as Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah and the Rabbanan. What's their argument? Ditnan. This is really in the other direction. So in the Ksuba, there, there, uh, in the Ksuba, the husband obligates. Uh, himself to financially support his wife in case they uh, the the uh, after the marriage meaning if either if he passes away or if they did get divorced there is a base amount which we've been discussing until now we had this in the first paragraph in the first chapter of uh, either mana one hundred or two hundred um, and that's the base amount but there's also tosefet there's above and beyond that amount where uh, the obligation that they placed upon him was a hundred or two hundred. But it was highly recommended to give tosefes, to give above and beyond that, to obligate oneself to provide above and beyond that. So what happens if he wrote the tosefes? He wrote uh, more than just 100 or 200. And they, again, they write this at the time of the engagement. Uh, but what happens if, let's say, he dies, the exact opposite case, he dies or they get divorced, um, even during the engagement process, she is able to collect everything. Not just the the minimal amount of one hundred to two hundred, but even the tosefes, even the additional amount that he obligated himself in. Rabbi says no. With regards to the amount that is obligated upon him of one hundred or two hundred during the engagement, that she could collect. But anything above and beyond that, um, anything above and beyond that, the tosefes that he obligated himself in. Uh, that is that he had in mind only if they actually get fully married. That's if they will go through the whole process. But if he if he passed away or if they got divorced uh, before that, so then no. So he'll only provide the one hundred or two hundred, which is obligated upon him. But anything which he initiated, the tosefes, the additional amount, so then he's not obligated. So that seems to align very much with what we just uh, what we just mentioned. Again, uh, we're discussing a case here where in both directions we have one direction where. Uh, the father of the wife is bringing things into the marriage uh, and he's obligating himself at the time of the halachic engagement. But then, uh, unfortunately, his daughter passes away. So the question is, 
uh, does the husband receive this or not? Uh, did he obligate himself or did he not obligate him? Did the father obligate himself or not? Or was it only if they actually got fully were fully married living together? Uh, same thing applies in the opposite direction. This this other argument about uh, when the husband obligates himself and says that he'll he'll support his wife at the uh, when the marriage ends, um, uh, whether it's through divorce or whether it's uh, it's through death. Um, and the question becomes, well, if he added more above and beyond uh, the minimal amount, so then is he obligating himself even if it ends, if it terminates during the engagement period? So it seems to align very much. We should say that the disputes are, are exactly similar. So the Gemara says, We're here on the top of 47b, that maybe they, they, they align. So the Gemara says, No, really, everybody could hold which is the, like, the opinion that we follow, like Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah. Rebbe Lazar ben Azariah is the opinion that we follow, who says that uh, he, if, he, if, he, if he passes away during the engagement time period, so then he has to pay the minimal amount, the, the basic amount of 100, 200, but anything above that, so then he doesn't have to pay, because he only had in mind to pay that if they actually got married. And really, everybody could hold like that. However, Mandamar, Lozach uh, Lazar ben Azariah, so according to the opinion that says that the husband... Um, sorry, when, when the father brings different items into the marriage, uh, he only had that in mind if they were fully married. But if her, his daughter passes away during the engagement, so then he, the husband should not receive that. That aligns beautifully. That fits with the Rebbe Lezer ben Azariah. But the other opinion can also fit with the Rebbe Lezer ben Azariah. Mandam Rezacha, however, the opinion that says that the husband still receives it. The Gemara tries to explain that Rebbe ben Azariah said that when it comes from the, from the husband's perspective, if you look at it from the husband's perspective, he only obligated himself uh, above and beyond the regular amount if they actually were fully married. But but that doesn't necessarily mean that the opposite is also true. It could be that the father uh, um, the father had in mind when, when he promised uh, to give these different things. And bring it into the marriage. It could be just the relationship alone, just the engagement alone. It could be the standards are different. That for him, the engagement alone to this man was sufficient enough for him to want to uh, provide this for this couple, for the father to provide this to this couple. It doesn't have to be in both equal and the same in both directions. The husband might only obligate himself once they're fully married. Uh, the, the the father might obligate himself because of the relationship itself, the relationship that already exists. And that, that's the end of that Gemara. So again, this is just, this final Gemara is discussing what happens uh, when the husband obligates himself or the father obligates himself in terms of bringing things into the marriage and they obligate themselves at the time of the engagement. Uh, the question is, well, did they only have that in mind when they wrote this down? This is in a document. Did they only have this in mind uh, when they were actually, uh, when they, uh, on the condition that they, they actually live with each other, that they're fully married or not? Or do we say not that way? And that's uh, subject to debate. In uh, both scenarios, whether it's from the husband's perspective, whether it's from the father's perspective, one just one comment, one uh, important comment is that well, what's going on here? What happened to we have a general principle that uh, if if a person writes a document, so then are we really supposed to start thinking about what do they have in mind? You write on a document, you have you have an agreement, uh, whatever it's the case is. Let's say it's a case of a regular sale of a product, whatever you wrote down on the agreement. So that's the agreement. We have to. Halacha now, Jewish law has to take into context. Well, what was the person thinking? What was the what was the assumptions here? Uh, what's going on here? The, the Gemara seems to be taking in, uh, taking into account all these different assumptions. And, and so Tosos asks this question, and he actually says 
Yes, uh, uh, pr- provided that um, it, it's clear, it's clear as day that this was the underlying assumption, even though it wasn't written in the document itself. So the answer is yes. Uh, so then he is, he is in fact, uh, uh, in, uh, we, Halacha does take into account what the person was thinking if we know, and it's clear as day that this is what the person was thinking. And the Gemara now is trying to figure out, is this what the, what the father was thinking? Is it clear that this was what the father was thinking? Is it clear that this was what the husband was thinking at the time that they wrote this ksuba, the different obligations that they're obligating themselves in? Um, and, and that's something they have in mind. Tosus points out that let, let's say we're not talking about a ksuba. Let's say we're not talking about a marriage. We're talking about a regular sale. If we're talking about a regular sale, um, he says that um, uh, why, why is it, why can't a person claim if, let's say, I buy something from somebody else and then on the way, after I paid for it and, and, and we made the transaction on the way, it breaks, why can't I claim, well, I never had that in mind. You know, I never, I never had that in mind. I, could, I would only, the, the whole transaction should be null and void because I only had this in mind. It actually reached, um, it reached me. Uh, I had the ability to use it, but I never had the ability to use it. Tosa says, no, you can't make that claim. Uh, because you didn't really have that in mind. You understand that there are certain risks involved when you make such a transaction. Uh, and the reason why you accept those risks, risks is because there's another party involved. There's the seller. So the seller knows that you, he'll only sell it to you if you accept those risks. And so therefore, these assumptions are not taken for granted in the case of a sale. However, the Gemara is trying to figure out now, in, in the context of a marriage, are there certain assumptions which are clear as day that, that we could in fact take into account, um, even though it's not... Uh, written down in the document itself, which is a fascinating idea. Okay, we conclude with this Gemara here on Memzayim Bay's 47B, and we'll continue uh, in the next class with this stuff.